occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Jillian Rosenberg Armour, Mark Doyle, Jeannie Ives, and Mike Miller. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to uh, uh, offer a tweet to me, send it to Dumo, at D-U-M-O. Also, if you want to join us on the World Wide Web, Beyond the Beltway, not only is it live tonight, but if you miss the show, you can always find a previous show there. And, of course, we are also live on Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont on Facebook and also on YouTube. So if you want to find us, uh, there's lots of places to find us. Uh, we, have, we have a couple of new guests this evening, and uh, we, we look forward to welcoming them and engaging them in conversation with, with two veterans that have been here for many times in the past. But I want to begin with uh, yet another controversial idea that uh, President Trump had, and we don't know whether it's, it, it's the words that are coming out of his mouth. They're not totally uh, in consort with some of the words that are coming out from others in the administration. But it's about his proposal to send uh, migrants who are flooding our border and sending them to sanctuary cities where he says they will have a welcoming reception. Jillian uh, Rosenberg-Armour, you're one of our Democrats tonight, making your first voyage. Nice to have you with us. You're one of the leading political consultants in the country, and congratulations Thank on your you. recent awards. What do you think of the idea of uh, the president's? Well, it's an idea. Um, it certainly would solve some of the problems, and I think it would be, I would prefer it to the current situation. Um, but I think the genesis of why he decided that this was a good idea is really the interesting part. I mean, I think the president somehow thinks that, you know, sending um, people to sanctuary cities that the, quote-unquote, people that live in the city, like Chicago, like mm -hmm. the progressives that live there, are going to be angry that there's an influx of people and that they're going to drain our resources and then we're going to be upset and say to him, fix this problem. And I think that's just not true. I mean, I really welcome everyone to come here as the granddaughter of four immigrants that were fleeing persecution. You know, I, I really think that sure. people in most sanctuary cities want to be Want to Let's hear them. from our other new Democrat, uh, Mark Doyle. Thank you very much. Welcome to Beyond the Beltway. Uh, what's your answer to the questions uh, or, or the, the, the possibilities of the president's plan? Well, first of all, I think it's a punchline. He did it as a punchline. If you listen to his administration, there was never an actual plan. It was just an idea. By the way, there are a lot of ideas that float around the White House. I worked in the White House. I get that. What I don't get is the anger and the meanness and the mean-spiritedness that surrounds this issue. 99.99% of these people are women and children fleeing violence. What is the issue with trying to find a way to humanitarily get them into our country? And by the way, send them to all the sanctuary cities because all of them want them. Jeannie Ives is one of our conservative Republicans. Uh, welcome to back. You're Thank a veteran. You. Yes. What's your reaction to the president's idea? I think it's a great idea. I think you, you first of all, you've got 100,000 that came in last March. How can we expect one part of our country to absorb and take care of that many people all at once? This is, uh, this is something that needs to be spread out. If, if we're not going to change the asylum laws, if we're going to just let us have open borders, freely letting people come in, if we're going to have judges block um, 
with injunctions, reasonable policy like, oh, if you want to have asylum, then you need to go through a point of entry and not freely across an open border. If we're going to do that type of thing, then this is a problem that needs to be, uh, that, that actually needs to be taken care of across the entire nation. So I'm all with the president. Send them across the nation. Mike Miller, what do you think? Sanctuary cities. I thought it was brilliant. I, I could, even brilliant. if it's a punchline, I thought it was a brilliant punchline. Mm-hmm. You put your money where your mouth is. I mean, Chicago, we're, our budgets are, I mean, we're flush with money, so we could easily bring in lots more people that, that will be in need. Mm-hmm. I know, that was a joke. But you, but you don't. But you also got to yeah. keep in mind, I understand that these are people coming from, from problems. But our laws do not allow for economic refugees. Our laws allow for political refugees. If we were to allow economic refugees, we would be flooded by tens of millions of people who are poor. No country in the world allows for economic refugees. Secondly, they should have stopped in Mexico first. The first safe country is where economic refugees stop. That's correct. And we had this discussion, if you remember, Bruce, about two years ago on your show, and we brought in an expert who deals with refugees. At that time, it was the refugees crisis because World Relief is located in Wheaton. And I will tell you what, we have our influx in Wheaton and in West Chicago, in all the suburbs where these refugees tend to settle, tend to get their initial set of support. And it um, it is a pressure point in our schools to provide sufficient services for them. And so we feel that this entire situation with illegal aliens or refugees needs to be spread out throughout the country. But remember what she said. It took well over two years on average for someone seeking asylum to go through the proper process to actually have that asylum granted. It is not something that they take lightly in the refugee community. And that is a legal way to become, uh, to come into the, the country. Do you, uh, Jillian said that uh, one of the motivations here might be that the president wants to uh, flood uh, sanctuary cities uh, with immigrants, and it's going to rile up those the people in those cities to rebel against the local political uh, leadership. I mean, that's his hope. I don't that's think his, it's going to backfire on him. I, that's not going to happen. I, no, I agree with you. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen, and I'm not so sure that it's the motivation. It might be, as I think you suggested, yeah. uh, sort of put up or shut up. Yeah. You know, if you want these people, you, that's your problem. Here, take them off, right. take them off my, right. my, my problem. I, I didn't think that. I had mm-hmm. I'd never heard that he's trying to disrupt what happens in San Francisco or Seattle. And I, I just saw KMO, KOMO just had a one-hour thing on the homelessness in Seattle and how horrible it is, and they just have no solution to it. Could you imagine sending more economic refugees to Seattle where they're already living in tents in huge numbers? It would be a disaster. I, I, and I don't think he's doing that. I just that Seattle says, you yeah, know, come to be here. So fine, send see, them there. I, I see it as another uh, sop to his base because the, the base basically says, you're liberal, you want to do this in your city? Go for it. We're going to put them in your backyard. And, and then the reaction of some thus far, including Nancy Pelosi, is, well, sort of not in, not in my backyard. Well, but again, she, that's she the, would the, not the Democrat reaction to this is what also really needs to be analyzed. The fact that they are poo-pooing the idea that they think that he's just being bombastic. I mean, honestly, that's what states are about. They're, they're mm-hmm. little 
their little um, experiments into what works and what doesn't work. I mean, if you want free college, then go ahead and have your state pay for free college. If, if you want, um, you know, to try the New Green Deal, like as Illinois has its own version of New Green Deal, by the way, which is ridiculous and, unex- and, and unworkable, if you want to try that, go down that path. If you like 70% tax rates, go ahead. I mean, this is just one of those other things. If you want to welcome in illegal immigrants freely, then let's see how that works out. Right. Well, there is opposition. It isn't exclusively from the Democrats or the national media. Uh, There's been opposition from the Department of Homeland Security. When we come back, we'll bring up their reservations, talk more about this subject and other issues, broader issues, of how do we solve the immigration problem in America, and how likely is it to be the dominant or one of the dominant issues of Campaign 2020. I'm Bruce Dumont, live from Chicago. I hope it is. Hi, I'm April Jewell, a teacher in Ballard County School District in Kentucky. Last year, we received word that our school had been selected to receive a $25,000 grant from the America's Farmers Grow Rural Education Program, sponsored by the Monsanto Fund, a philanthropic arm of Bayer. The grant is designed to help further science, technology, engineering, and math education. We used it to upgrade the technology in our classrooms to enhance health science curriculums and better prepare our students for various career paths. Now through April 1st, farmers can nominate a school district to apply for $10,000 or $25,000 grants aimed at improving STEM education. I would encourage all eligible farmers to nominate today for a chance to make a lasting impact in countless classrooms. The process takes less than five minutes and farmers can nominate their school district by visiting americasfarmers.com. That's americasfarmers.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, and again, uh, before the break, I mentioned that uh, some uh, members of the uh, Department of Homeland Security, at least some that are still left, because the, much of the leadership uh, has been uh, thrown out the door this past week with the uh, resignation of Christine Nielsen uh, and uh, the head of Secret Service and a few other top leaders. Um, but uh, this is what they had to say. They, they weighed in. They were asked about this idea by the White House, and uh, their... Um, their opposition to the plan, this is allegedly what they said to the, the White House, they said that Congress had not approved any specific dollars for the transfer of these people to uh, sanctuary cities. Uh, ICE said that it was an unnecessary operational burden. It would be harder for people to round up if they were in sanctuary cities all of the United States. They wouldn't get any help from the local authorities. And also, they felt that it would be incentive um, to more illegal immigration. Mike Miller, are, aren't uh, some of those things absolutely true? Oh. Like uh, certainly the magnet, wouldn't it be? Oh, well, we, we have magnets all the time. The fact That's that right. we keep saying, uh, we economists refer to that as a moral hazard. When there's a, a behavior you don't like, and then you pass a rule that makes it more likely that people will behave badly. And, and so when you say you're going to tear down the walls or we're not going to stop your family, or if you bring children, you can come right in. So people bring children that don't even belong to them, and they come right. These are all moral hazards. These are all policies that provide incentives to break the law. But if you were, uh, if you were leading a drug cartel mm-hmm. and uh, your job, one of your jobs was obviously to charge people to get into the country. Sure. And right now they were, they're coming mm-hmm. in, in, in hordes, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're coming because they, they think they're going to run into some problems on the border. 
and they're going to see that they're going to make, they may have to go in cages, and their mm -hmm. children might get, you know, separated mm -hmm. from them. But now they get in to go to San Francisco. That, in lieu of that, mm -hmm. you're sending them pictures of San Francisco sure. and Seattle and New York City. Wouldn't that in itself be an incentive? But uh, there's something that's, uh, that's assumed here, that the people, that once they get into the country, they simply stay within, say, 20 miles of where they come into the country. Right. And we know that's not true. Or we, wouldn't have, we would have no one in Chicago who's an, an immigrant, right? I mean, I, I live out near Elgin, Schomburg, where there's a very large uh, Mexican immigrant population. How did they get here? Why didn't they just stay, I don't know, right at the border? Well, they don't. They travel all over the country on their own. You're also presuming that they all come across the border. The vast majority come through legal points oh, of entry. Oh, I agree. Okay. I accept that, that, so this that the majority do overstay their visas. Right. But the, the, the issue is they were let in, in a sense, legally to begin with. The illegal agreements that I'm concerned, I want actually more immigration. I just want them to come through the front door. I want to know who they are, where they're going, and whether or not they think that we're going to take care of them. I but think most people, right. not, most people agree with that. I mean, of course that's they what, do. That's, yeah. that's a Republican position. No, I think There's that's a bipartisan position. People want... No, it's well, not. People the, to the, come the, the, here. the Democrat the, position is there's, there should be no change in our asylum laws. That's, that you I can come over true. whenever you want to. And that, that you, you, we shouldn't have to uh, know who you are before but you, know you come over. You know but that is, yeah. no, that is exactly the truth because you know we, we have tried and tried again to get some resolution on the asylum laws. We've even, and we've just now having liberal judges I mean, throwing up let's injunctions remember how about President Trump's even administration agreeing. started. You know, within days of taking office, he created the Muslim ban to ban people no, no, from no, coming to our country. No, he did not. There was not a Muslim ban. In fact, no, that it just is, was all the countries no, that, that have exactly an overwhelming number of Muslims. That is exactly why we had this conversation Muslims. two years on this radio about the refugees and the crisis. It was not a Muslim ban. Yes, it was. It was a particular list of seven, seven countries, countries that, that were actually, majority Muslim. And that's why. Why is that? It's because they were a security threat. The countries Who themselves. Who was a security the, threat? Seven countries. The seven countries were security and threats. And all the, the people, people that live there. No, we can't. No, you can't no. vet can't them. Trace you can't no trace them. We already do. No, we do vet no them. No, you absolutely, not absolutely well, are second, not true. Obama, that is not true. Obama that is not came up with a list of seven countries. And those were Obama's Mark countries, Doyle. by the way. Mark Doyle. We had this conversation already. Yeah. So I think it was Moynihan who famously once said, you are entitled to your own opinion, but you are not entitled to your own facts. There is a robust... Um, probation period and vetting period. It's a two-year period. So to espouse a view that, we, that the Democrats are for all open borders, let anybody in without vetting them, and don't care where they go, it's just simply not – just If not you cared, though, fact. you would actually work with the president right now and change the asylum laws. They had a deal. They, they had a deal. That's right. Not only they, did they have a deal, would have gotten them, what, $25 billion for his wall. They had it. That's right. And he walked away from it. $25 billion for your wall and DACA and the Fixie Asylum, and he walked away from it. That, that is not my, no. It's not my that, that, I mean, no, that's what happened. That is not what, what happened. happened. He had the deal, and he walked away from it. He, 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 well, he changed he it at not. the last minute. By the way, I want to, go, I want to get into some more numbers. No and, uh, uh, Fritz, we've got some more uh, graphics we want to show for those uh, watching us on television. But again, uh, I'll, I'll read these for the folks on radio. Uh, last, uh, look, looking at last month, <clears throat> stopped at the U.S. border. In March of 2018, 50,347 people were stopped. Last month, in March of 2019, 103,000. 
492 were stopped. So this really is, in my view, it is a crisis. More and more, even Democrats are acknowledging that. Jed Johnson acknowledges that. And also, as we go to the next graphic to share with you, the asylum requests in 2018, this is last year, in 76% of the cases, DHS, their employees, decided asylum, asylum seekers established credible fear if they were returned to their home country. But only 16% were granted asylum once they were seen in court. So not many people made it in when they went through the process. And then the third, I think there was a third thing. No, I guess not. Only two things. Yeah. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that means right. that, at least to me, the asylum system is wrong. Yep. We don't have enough beds. We don't have enough judges because the, the recent uh, legislation uh, called for 75 new judges. 75 new judges sounds uh, you know, pretty Drop small in the bucket. because the backlog now is over 800,000 people are in the system waiting to have their cases adjudicated. Okay, let me remind everybody at the table that for two years they had the White House, the Senate, and the Congress. They had all... I agree. They had the, oh, the full authority to appropriate, to put judges. Right. Yeah. They should have done it. By the way, they should have done it. I'll well, give you on another the judges, though, they've been slowed down Senate, by, the, the, by the Senate confirmation process a lot on judges. Let me remind you so, that Merritt Garland never even got a... That's right, because you shouldn't in a presidential We're also year talking that. about different types of judges. That's a, yeah. We're not right. talking about the appointment of federal judges, which have been slowed down. Mm-hmm. We're that's talking right. about the judges that work on these cases. That They, they look at a backlog of 800,000. Right. 75 is not going to be enough. When, the, when, they, when they recently discussed how many beds they were going to put in the detention centers, the Democrats wanted a limit on the number of beds. It should be an unlimited number of Absolutely. beds. But yep. the Democrats Absolutely. didn't do well, that. Of course, because they want the people to come in and then enter and then, the country. And then enter the country. See, and I, then I, not I, to be I, heard I'm of again. As a, a, a decision maker, I, I was a department chairman. I'm something called an associate dean. I've got to get things done. Mm-mm. If I have a, an overburden that I simply can't deal with, one of the first things I would try to do is stop a new influx until I can get it under control. And there's no will in this country to stop that. And we have to close, if if that meant... I mean, look at the history of stopping an influx of immigrants. I am the child of four four grandparents. Legally. Fled legally. legally. Did they come in in illegally? They did did not, but, you know, they had... There you go. Correct. So, so honestly, we bring in a million... trying to come here legally. It's not like the people... No, they're not. They are not trying to come here legally. Yes, if there was a legal process for them to come here, they come to the border asking for asylum, asking for... They have to the know the assumptions you're making are just as big. It's a huge assumption that they, that they want to come here legally and that they've even attempted to do that process. It's a huge assumption. It's not. They're literally coming to the border, surrendering if everything they that they have, and they're saying trying to come into our country legally, fleeing horrible violence. Do you, they do you doing, see? Just, do you see any organizational efforts that are going on in in the three uh, exporting countries of people? Do you see any organization there? In other words, the fact that we have thousands of people coming in in, in any one week, do you think that's just happening coincidentally? Or is there, are there efforts to make the United States and our administrative abilities look bad 
and, and, and create these internal discussions. I, I would Mark. say that probably none of us could answer that in totality because you would have to have such a knowledge of Central America and Mexico, right, and South American countries. However, I will say um, that at a time when we are cutting budgets for Central American countries, right, mm -hmm. and expecting them to deal with the problem there, it just seems to me like a better solution to this would be to engage at that level don't cut funding so that they definitely have to leave. It's only work with these countries to make sure that people, if you want them to stay there, then work with these countries to provide an atmosphere for them to but stay the, Why is that my responsibility to fund? But the State Department. Why is that my responsibility to fund? Anyway, you just said they're going to come to it's this country. It's not my responsibility to fund that. It's going to go to some sort of drug lord or some sort of corrupt government who's going to misuse government funds. That's exactly what's going to happen. Okay. Uh, it's one thing to provide humanitarian aid. Yes. It's another thing to actually give them some we sort of grant to... You know, if they don't want to have the good, solid investment plans that attract multinational corporations, but you served uh, in then, Congress, then, you, then we have a problem. Right, but you served in Congress, so I'm sure that you oversaw appropriations. I did not serve in Congress. I never served in Congress. She may want to serve. State representative. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. April Jewell, a teacher in Ballard County School District in Kentucky. Last year, we received word that our school had been selected to receive a $25,000 grant from the America's Farmers Grow Rural Education Program, sponsored by the Monsanto Fund, a philanthropic arm of Bayer. The grant is designed to help further science, technology, engineering, and math education. We used it to upgrade the technology in our classrooms to enhance health science curriculums and better prepare our students for various career paths. Now through April 1st, farmers can nominate a school district to apply for ten dollars or $25,000 grants aimed at improving STEM education. I would encourage all eligible farmers to nominate today for a chance to make a lasting impact in countless classrooms. The process takes less than five minutes, and farmers can nominate their school district by visiting americasfarmers.com. That's americasfarmers.com. Back in Chicago, thank you very much for joining us this evening. We have two new guests and two veteran guests. We're going to let our two uh, new guests uh, introduce themselves, and we will begin uh, with Jillian Rosenberg-Armour. Hi. 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 Uh, my name is Jillian Rosenberg-Armour. I am a political consultant based here in Chicago, Illinois. I am from Illinois. Um, I primarily work with people... Democrats running for Congress, uh, state legislatures, governor, Senate, president, all sorts of people who are running for office. Yeah, and Iowa is your expertise. Iowa, I have a, lived there for seven years and worked in two presidential caucuses there, right. correct. Yeah. And your, and your organization, uh, your company oh, was recently company, voted yes. uh, Campaigns and Elections, which is sort of the Bible of 
political consultants, you won their big award as the, the hottest young yeah, agency the, in the, the country. Yes, Campaigns and Elections uh, named mm. my firm one of the best new firms in the country, and then I was awarded the 40 under 40 this year by the American Association of Political Consultants. Congratulations. Thank you Mark very much. Mark Doyle also joins us. Mark, tell everybody who you are and why you're here. Thanks. My name is Mark Doyle. Um, I'm a local guy. Grew up on the north side. Uh, my wife, Kip, and I own a company, three companies that hire homeless and at-risk veterans. Rags of Honor is our apparel company that we started when I got back from Afghanistan. And my wife and Brandon Marty, a veteran pilot, uh, started Veteran Roachers Cup of Joe, and we just started R&R Brews. The whole mission is to just find at-risk and homeless veterans, get them back on their feet, pay them a living wage, and help them reintegrate. Very good. And politically, uh, you have very strong ties to the uh, the Clintons and very strong ties to Joe Biden. Yep. I worked for, uh, I was the first director of advance in the Clinton campaign through 92, <clears throat> before you were born, probably. Um, and then I worked with and traveled with Joe Biden for three years. Okay. And uh, let's talk about Jeannie Ives. Jeannie? I'm Jeannie Ives. I'm a former state representative uh, here in Illinois. I'm the mother of five children, and uh, I live in Wheaton with my husband and a dog and all that. And you ran for governor against Bruce Rauner. You yes, did I extremely did. well in the primary. You almost won, and you're one of the leading lights of conservative republicanism in Illinois. I would say that's true, yes. And Mike Miller. I'm a, uh, I have a Ph.D. in economics from uh, University of Pittsburgh in 1980. And then for the next 39 years, I've been an associate professor of economics at DePaul in <clears> Chicago. <throat> and I uh, love to teach, and I also do research on, of all places, the Kingdom of Bahrain in the Middle East. Okay. I want to go back to uh, uh, the decision to take a foreign aid against uh, El Salvador and Honduras and Guatemala and to reduce that. Uh, as I understand it, in the initial uh, reading that I did on it, one of the reasons that the State Department did it wasn't just because Donald Trump came up with the idea— uh, but that they had determined that the previous uh, use of those funds that were going there were not being used for the purposes that we had hoped they would be. And some of them were going to drug lords and, uh, and, and, and corrupt officials down there. So the idea of cutting off funds if someone isn't doing uh, what you want them to be, I guess you could argue whether that's a good idea or a bad idea. I would argue that it's a good idea. But I also understand that if you completely cut off all funds that were supposed to be used for a good purpose, which was to create a reason for people to stay there, and it's either giving them greater security or greater education or greater something, if those things aren't happening, uh, what's wrong with pulling those? What's wrong with pulling the funds? Well, well, first of all, let's let's remember here that that the United States is one of the most generous countries in the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm that we help fund many initiatives uh, around the world, whether it's economic or humanitarian. Let's also realize that we also have a whole not-for-profit sector that helps all of these disadvantaged countries. For example, our own small little parish, uh, Catholic parish in Wheaton, uh, we fund both a medical mission to Guatemala and another one that provides, you know, water wells and, and other things for, for folks. So there's, and this is just one, one of many, many people that reach out to these Central American countries and provide aid. So the idea that we're not still helping out in some way is ridiculous. But we have to be very measured about how we help them and what is our end goal and whether or not our, our taxpayer resources are actually getting something for that return. Is there any truth to what I'm about to say? And that is that in recent weeks... Mexico has demonstrated an ability 
to stand up for their borders. Mm-hmm. They tried to stop people from coming in through their southern borders. There was some engagement, physical engagement with them. And they have agreed with the United States and come up with this plan that those that are seeking asylum, that they would stay in Mexico while their cases were being adjudicated. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Ninth District, which rarely gives a, uh, you know, any, any good news to the uh, Trump administration, last week said that program is okay. That's approved, that program. So my point is, is it time to think whether or not we should take the collective money that we were sending to the three South American countries or Central American countries? Should some of those funds go to Mexico? Should we give Mexico more money because they've demonstrated an ability they do want to help, maybe not as much as we would like them, but there's more of a positive response towards Mexico and their new president than the previous president? And is that a way to get Mexico even to do more? If these countries, right if, if folks are fleeing violence in their countries, why is not the United Nations involved? Mm. Why are they not? Sweet, so you're disputing whether or not there's violence in Honduras now? No, I'm not disputing that in at fact, all. She just said That's the my point. Yeah, yeah. That is exactly my point. So think- if this is more in an international crisis, because now you're talking about multiple countries right. and asylum laws that are set not by the U.S. necessarily, but by the broader. World, which is why the the first the first country you get to that's, where you're that's free to is where you're supposed to stop and ask for asylum. Not the U.S. Okay, that's and that's that's an international sort of uh, agreement that has been made. And so, if that's the case, why is nobody asked for the U.N. to step in? I think the U.N. does, and they do it monetarily. Uh, the U.N. has a peacekeeping force, we know for sure, but it's limited because they're in a lot of the African countries. One of the things I would offer is that. Imagine, and you you know this instinctively, that one of your family members is killed. You routinely get shaken down by the local thugs, and you can't even afford to run your business. That's where you live, in one of these small towns. That's where your family is. Things are so bad. You say, I might die, but things are so bad here that we have to find a better life. Conversely, we talk about the church. You're a church-going person. It seems, like, it seems like we are at odds. On one hand, we go to church, we thank the Lord, and we do stuff for people in Guatemala. On the other hand, when those same people show up at our border, we say, it's not our responsibility. Like, why not? Why isn't it our responsibility? It hasn't affected your life or my life or your life or yours or yours. What one is, iota. Mark, yes, what, what, yes. What is, yes, it has. What because, is the oh. limit? Jeannie, go ahead. Because you, know, cause you haven't talked to Eric Brady. You haven't talked to Brian McCann. Both of them who had loved ones killed by illegal, illegal immigrants here in the U.S. illegally and set through, free by sanctuary cities Making in the Illinois. Like that no, 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 my okay. point, specific, this is the very point. very specific. This Got is it. exactly the point, that we need to know who is coming in and who they, and Roger before that. we agree. 100%. And that's the problem. That is the problem, though. Here, you cannot have just open asylum laws and, and let these borders be open. And so you're either going, look, I'm, you're right, I'm all for protecting the American citizen prior to protecting the Guatemalans yes. that are having their trouble. And, I, you know, what? I feel bad for them. I feel terrible for them. And I'm thankful that, that, that some tax dollars go to there to help them for humanitarian life. I'm thankful that not-for-profits go down there and help them. I'm, thank, I'm, I'm happy to donate to the missions that our church supports because I know where the money's going. But I am not going to let 
it become a borderless, be a borderless country. I'm saying they're not mutually exclusive, that you can do everything that you're doing and you can be for a strong and non-porous border. But but is is there enough money? uh, And and, and the question I was going to ask is, what is what, what's the limit? I mean, if if we have you said during the break that a third of those from El Salvador already live, already live in the United States, why don't we have let's have forty percent more? I mean, at what point? Now the president said there's no more room. I I, I challenge that. There's certainly you know go out to Wyoming and, and and Montana. There's a lot of room out there, but who is going to pay for it? That's right. The local the local communities, the local taxpayer who is barely making it, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They have two or three children. They want to send it to college. And, and they're barely making it. Okay. Are we asking them to pay more money because there's someone lower on the socioeconomic rung that's coming in from El Salvador? Do we ask them to pay for it? No, I think, well, who's paying for it? Well, it's I, not Barbara Streisand. No, no. I guess you're, there's a presumption that these people are coming here don't want to work because no, the vast no, no, they majority do want to work. come and but work. But where are they going to work? How much are they going they to be paid? They don't speak the language. They don't have education. How? What are they going to do? They're going to be. Are they going to code? So in in, in I, Illinois too, they just passed a law giving illegal immigrants access to um, monetary uh, academic grants. Okay, so that they can go to college on the backs of taxpayers. Now this is the same university system that has denied some of our best students access to the university's period and full stop. All right. This is, this is what infuriates. And I think the Democrats have no clue about it. We're, we're, we're angry about it. We pay a lot of taxes in this state and now we're going to go, our, our, our taxes are going to go support illegal immigrants going to college and to the same colleges that our kids are not accepted to, not even accepted to. I mean, we have a big disconnect. On, on let's, the let's, get this, let's get the reaction from that from yeah. the Democrats. Um, I, I don't know what, how many illegal immigrants. I w- would be interested to see. Your point is well taken. We shouldn't turn Illinois citizens away when we are accepting non-Illinois students and illegal. I mean, that is a point that would be very hard to argue with. I think the law is referring to a lot of DACA recipients who were brought here as children, as babies, Which and is are exactly trying what to, you're become, going to get more and of. want to become legal Moral. citizens of this country, want to become taxpaying legal citizens of this country, but have not been able to because the current because of the leadership by this president hasn't been able to give them a path. It's a bully. But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. 
Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. We're going to switch gears now. If you're uh, on the phone uh, waiting to talk about illegal immigration, we may get to you in the next hour. But again, uh, uh, big news, at least in Democratic politics today. Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, he, uh, after having an exploratory campaign and getting more free publicity and great publicity than anybody mm. else running, uh, he has decided that he is going to throw his hat in the ring. And uh, he did that this afternoon in South Bend, Indiana. And here's a bite of what the mayor had to say. I'm here to join you to make a little news. My name is Pete Buttigieg. They call me Mayor Pete. I'm a proud son of South Bend, Indiana, and I am running for president of the United States. All right, that's uh, Mayor Pete. Uh, uh, Senator Cory Booker announced uh, yesterday, and uh, I want to turn to our Democrats. Let me ask you, uh, uh, Jillian, um, what is it about Mayor Pete that has him sort of on the hot, hot trail at the moment? Um, well, I think it's his narrative that he the what he's saying that I think people are attracted to. He really has a message of unity, um, of talking about going back to our values and being someone from the heartland, someone from the next generation, um, and not being afraid to stand up for his values. Um, we'll see what happens. You know, I think like any other primary, you know, there's going to be pe- crowded primary. Um, there's going to be people that are going to certainly be the flavor of the month, and he is this month. Uh, Mark, let me ask you this question. Has he stolen uh, Beto O'Rourke's position in this race? I think Beto was actually fading a little bit before he got in. Um, and that is just a consequence of, I think Michael Bauer said it last week on your show, that uh, Biden's the highest numbers would be the day before he gets in the race. By and large, that is almost with anybody who enters politics um, the day before you get in the race. So I think the bloom was a little bit off the rose with Beto. Um, two two weeks ago, because I think that people made the assessment that while he is articulate and while he is energetic, he may not have the depth of knowledge. Conversely, I do think this guy, Mayor Pete, um, has thought through his policies. He knows what he stands for, and he's making a pitch about not being wed to Washington, which is very appealing to Judy primary Ives, what's voters. your assessment of across I, the aisle? I think Mayor Pete is um, very interesting. I mean, I think the Democrats w- could um, do themselves a fail- favor and kind of go down his route. Quite frankly, look, I, I was I served on a Wheaton on Wheaton City Council. I served on. City- look, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you know are the streets plowed? Are there no potholes? Uh, is the infrastructure good? You got good water service. I mean, this is where you deliver services directly to the community, and you're one on one right there. There's nothing better. It's a great training ground. Um, for higher office. However, it's a huge leap yeah. from mayor to president. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that. But, um, you know, it, it, for me, it's about policy. And um, if anytime you can find a candidate that is solid on policy, then I, I think that's great. Now, I don't is know he that more, is he, uh, I don't know that he's solid did, on policy, though, yet. But you, and you, you, did, you would probably disagree with much of his policy. I probably would, actually. So if he wants to fall mm-hmm. into the realm of the New Green Deal, I would disagree with that. If he wants to fall into the, if he wants Medicare for all, I don't agree with that. I mean, and this is a man from a small town in Indiana 
that um, arguably knows the dollars and cents behind every health care decision that that city has to make, every bit of employee salary that goes into playing police. He probably understands police protection and, and safety uh, better than most, um, but these cost dollars, and so it would be interesting to where he, see where he falls on core policy. Mike Miller, do yes. you think he has longevity? I, well, I, boy, you know, that's such a tough question because I thought Beto had the longevity, right? He was the one who supposedly looked like a Kennedy. And now this guy, unlike me, he has, he has the looks and he's smooth. And, uh, but what does he stand for? I have no idea. And he, no idea. He, I mean, remember, I, was, I remember being told that Mr. Trump had no right running for president because he has no experience in government. Well, here's a guy who's 37. He's been the uh, mayor of a, tiny, of, of a relatively tiny town. I mean, isn't he exactly what you didn't say you didn't want with Mr. Trump? You said, oh, without some experience, you can't have this. And I, but I, when you compare him with other United States Senate members who are thinking legislatively yeah. and not doing the nuts and bolts that Jeannie just referenced, does that I, person, does that person become more believe. impressive or at least they certainly become different? Yeah, I'd like to see, for example, who's he going to appoint to the Supreme Court? Does he have a short list or does he have a description? Who would he appoint to the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve? And what's his policy on North Korea? I'd like to know uh, something about his his policicy on on uh, immigration, the difference between legal and illegal. Oh, well, that'll that'll and definitely I, come up. Campaigns yeah. are poor. Right. That's right. And and what since you since you are a good friend of of uh, the former vice president. Yep. What's the latest that you hear from Joe Biden as to if and when he's going to announce? My guess, and it really is a guess, uh, that it is around the first of next month. Why has he waited so long? Making news. <laughs> well, part of it is decisions that he had on the books already. I mean, he's involved with book tours that were already scheduled. He is still spending at least a third of his time trying to find a cure for cancer that killed Bo. So he spends a lot of time on the road, a lot of time with foundations, a lot of time in front of scientists. Um, and he's got a foreign policy and a domestic policy shop as well. And uh, we're also 18 months out from an election, I think. Let me ask you a question. Isn't finding a cure for cancer more important than being the president of the United States? Well, I think that, again, they're not mutually exclusive. You could run for president and use that bully public and use the appropriations process to help, like the former president did, um, and the president before him, to try and cure cancer. You can do them both. We will continue our discussion of campaign 2020 when we roll on from Chicago. And again, uh, in the next hour, we're going to hear from Robin Johnson from Monmouth University in Monmouth, Illinois, and he will be talking about what's happening in Iowa. We'll also be checking some polls and talking more about the issues that will define campaign 2020. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. April Jewell, a teacher in Ballard County School District in Kentucky. 
Last year, we received word that our school had been selected to receive a $25,000 grant from the America's Farmers Grow Rural Education Program, sponsored by the Monsanto Fund, a philanthropic arm of Bayer. The grant is designed to help further science, technology, engineering, and math education. We used it to upgrade the technology in our classrooms to enhance health science curriculums and better prepare our students for various career paths. Now through April 1st, farmers can nominate a school district to apply for $10,000 or $25,000 grants aimed at improving STEM education. I would encourage all eligible farmers to nominate today for a chance to make a lasting impact in countless classrooms. The process takes less than five minutes and farmers can nominate their school district by visiting americasfarmers.com. That's americasfarmers.com. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Bruce Schumann back in Chicago and uh, Mark Doyle is here. He's uh, done uh, director of advance for uh, uh, Bill Clinton's presidential campaign and also worked uh, many uh, years uh, with Joe Biden. We were talking about Joe Biden in the, in the last hour. And I want to I talk a bit more about Joe Biden because yeah. he's not entered. Uh, but you said something during the break. You talked about, you know, he's he's an old white guy. He is an no, old white guy. I said I'm guy. an old white guy. You're an old white guy, but he's an old white guy. He's older than you. So my question is, what is it that he brings to the table? If if Hillary Clinton was going to be the third term of Barack Obama, which a lot of people said that was her reason for running, isn't he just a third term for Barack Obama and the American voters have already voted on that. Well, um, again, let's look back at the final vote count. Hillary Clinton did get about 3.5 million more votes 
than Donald Trump. So if your point is... Yeah, but she lost the election. She did, but your point is, aren't they sick of Obama? I would argue they are not. I would also say that um, if you take the 2.8, whatever the final number was, and then about the 8 million more votes that were cast for Democrats in the 16 midterms, you start with 11 million more Democratic votes. And what people like about Joe Biden are several things. One is that he's a regular guy from a regular background who I took the train with for two years straight, who's had incredible, incredible tragedies in his life that he has overcome. Mm -hmm. And through it all, he has been the same guy when he started in 1972 as he is today. He is steeped in foreign policy. He is steeped in domestic policy. The very first climate change bill ever enacted in the Senate was his in 1986. Now, it didn't go anywhere. But he's been progressive before progressive was sort of the cool thing to do. But, but when, when he is asked why he's running for president of the United States, which is a very simple question. Yeah. It's one that Ted Kennedy totally Ooh, screwed on. up in 1980, and it ended his campaign. Would, would Joe Biden be able to give a, a, an articulate, honest yes. answer to that question <laughs> yes. without it being, it's my turn, I've waited. I've had a lifetime of tragedy, and it is my turn. I'm the I'm the next. Okay. I, I deserve yeah, I want your sympathetic this. vote. But would that never in a hundred years have you ever heard Joe Biden say at any election at any time? I think it's time for me to run because I lost my wife and daughter 35 years ago. Never, ever, ever. He would never articulate it. But I'm talking about what's inside the man. What's inside? Why? Him? I mean, why, why is he running now? when he didn't run four years ago against Hillary? Because his just son because it's was easier? dying of okay. cancer. That makes complete That's sense. That's why. Do you view, uh, Jillian, mm-hmm. do you view Joe Biden as, first of all, as the front runner, and do you view him as uh, probably the toughest guy for Donald Trump to beat? Well, for the first part of that question as the front runner, I do think he is. You know, he's the former vice president of the United States. He has a ton of name ID. He has a network. He's been in political office for 50 years, right? You know, I mean, he has a huge infrastructure of support within the Democratic Party. And so I think when he gets in, he is certainly the front runner. And what happens after that, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I don't know if he's the best person to beat Donald Trump. That's why we get to have a really competitive Democratic primary where we have an embarrassment of riches. You know, I think that among Democratic primary voters, there's a conversation going on. Do we want someone who is electable and can appeal to moderate voters? Or do we believe that making someone electable means that they bring new people out and engage new people? What's your answer to that question? I actually think it's finding the person where we're not... we're not choosing between the two, where they do both, where they are appealing to a new generation of voters, people who often stay home, and they don't turn off moderate voters who are tired of Donald Trump's policy. So is that person in yet? I think so. And I think there's actually four or five people that fit that bill. And it's really a matter of seeing they are. Um, I think it's a lot of the people that are at the top of the ticket. I think Joe Biden is potentially one of them. I think Kamala Harris um, I think uh, Beto O'Rourke, Pete Buttigieg, um, and several others, I think, all fit in that mold. And I think Would the Congressman test... Tim Ryan fit in that list, even though most people don't know who he is yet, I the don't... congressman from Youngstown. You know, 
I, I, I don't know. I think it's really – he got in late. I mean, some of the people that are lesser known got in really early, and so they were able to build relationships with people. They have a, a jump start of almost three months, four months now, um, and they, they've been able to raise money, build relationships with donors, build relationships with party leaders, and I think it's going to be really hard to catch up if you're a lesser known uh, member of Congress at Tim, this point. Tim Ryan, uh, the congressman, he was on uh, uh, George Stephanopoulos today. Yeah. And uh, he was asked about what would make him unique uh, running for president because he's not relatively well-known. And he sort of answers the question that I've asked on this program for the last several months, and that is, if, if show me a candidate that can win Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, and I'll show you who the next president of the United States is. There's only one person that has that, you know, in his track record, and that's Donald Trump. I think amongst the field, I think the answer to that question would be Tim Ryan. But again, he's got to come from well, where he is today. He's got a lot of work to do. I think Joe Biden possibly look could Look at as Amy well. Klobuchar, who, yeah, the, you know, Klobuchar she announced time. and immediately went to Wisconsin. Yeah. Look at Beto O'Rourke, who almost won in Texas. Yeah, I'm not, Deep so, sure red Texas. I'm not so sure that Beto O'Rourke does it. But let's listen to what Tim Ryan said today about the uniqueness that he brings to the Democratic primary. Let's take a look. My campaign and my, my behavior as president is going to be to rebuild the middle class in the United States. People are tired of just getting by. They're tired of just surviving. They want to thrive. They want their kids to thrive. And we've got to stop talking about the minimums. We've got to figure out how we create an economy in health care, in energy, in manufacturing, where people can make 30, 40, 50 bucks an hour. That's the American dream. Agreed. Okay. Jeannie. He sounds like Donald Trump. And he's attempting to actually create a constituency among Donald Trump voters. That's exactly what he's saying. But everything that he talked about there is exactly what's not happening in Washington. He wants to bring back manufacturing. He wants to create jobs and energy. Who tried to shut down the XL pipeline? The Democrats. I mean, who had the and war on coal? And he ran against the Democrats. Nancy Pelosi. Right. <laughs> who wants the New Green Deal, which would destroy the economics in this country? Destroy them. It's, it's, it's fantasy land to think that the, the new Green Deal is the way to go. You would literally go back to Little House in the Big Woods. Mark, Laura question to you. Time. Well, Wait, um, based on what you heard, does Tim Ryan have at least the message that could win the Democratic primary? No, I'm going to back that up. Does he have the message that could win Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, and Pennsylvania? Short answer, yes, and I'll tell you why. It's Joe Biden's message from 08, from 04, from when he first ran. In 08, with Biden on the ticket, we spent most of our time from the convention through in Pennsylvania, Ohio, mm-hmm. West Virginia, Michigan, and Florida. With Biden on the ticket, Democrat hadn't won Scranton, Pennsylvania since um, President Johnson. In 08, they won Scranton, Pennsylvania. In my view, and which is why you look today at maybe it's name recognition in every single poll, Biden's up by double digits. It's because he can do exactly what Tim Ryan just said and what Joe Biden's been talking about for 25 years. Okay, but when when he has been the top candidate running in a primary, he's had two unsuccessful campaigns for the presidency. So he's been speaking that way as a vice president and as a presidential candidate. I'm Bruce Dumont. We'll be talking about Iowa next. Hi, I'm April Jewell, 
a teacher in Ballard County School District in Kentucky. Last year, we received word that our school had been selected to receive a $25,000 grant from the America's Farmers Grow Rural Education Program, sponsored by the Monsanto Fund, a philanthropic arm of Bayer. The grant is designed to help further science, technology, engineering, and math education. We used it to upgrade the technology in our classrooms to enhance health science curriculums and better prepare our students for various Yeah, contacts. I wish I didn't have to. Now through April 1st, farmers can nominate a school district to apply for ten dollars or $25,000 grants aimed at improving STEM education. I would encourage all eligible farmers to nominate today for a chance to make a lasting impact in countless classrooms. The process takes less than five minutes, and farmers can nominate their school district by visiting americasfarmers.com. That's americasfarmers.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. And uh, joining us now via Skype uh, is Robin Johnson. Robin Johnson is a professor of political science at Monmouth College in in, uh, Monmouth, Illinois. And uh, Robin, uh, nice to have you with us on Beyond the Beltway tonight. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Bruce. I would like to get uh, your response to a poll that came out. It was produced uh, by uh, your college, and this is of Iowa caucus voters, and this is what they had to say based on the recent poll. Let's look at the graphic. It has uh, uh, Joe Biden in first place at 27 percent, Bernie Sanders 16 percent, I think Pete Buttigieg a surprise at 9 percent in third place, Elizabeth Warren 7 percent, Kamala Harris, 7%, and uh, Beto O'Rourke at 6%. So now you have been taking this poll for a long, long time. Now, based on uh, people that you've interviewed thus far and based on the pulse of Iowa that you take, uh, what, what are the issues that are moving people towards one candidate or the other? Well, I have to I have to say up front that's a Monmouth University poll. It's not Monmouth College. Okay, I'm sorry. For, uh, correction. All right, I'm, but those numbers. Where are they, fairly, by the way? Because they're getting they're getting publicity. But where are they located, and where are you located? We're we're uh, right about thirty minutes from the Iowa border uh, near Burlington. Monmouth uh, University's in New Jersey. Okay, very just good. Just for clarity. Well, I stand but, I stand corrected. Uh, those numbers are fairly close to what the Des Moines Register uh, poll has shown uh, of Iowa voters, where. Uh, it's it's Biden and Sanders running one and two very close, and then uh, uh, next uh, in the in the Des Moines Register poll was Elizabeth Warren. Um, but I think it's very fluid. I think Iowans are doing a good job uh, in their role as as uh, kind of the first in the nation contest. Uh, if you get a chance and see some of these uh, town hall meetings, you can see they take their their role very seriously, ask good questions, and. What we're seeing in the events I've been to so far are health care seems to be the number one issue still. Uh, a lot of concerns about health care. Uh, there are concerns about climate, especially water uh, pollution, which is a big issue over in the Des Moines area and in some rural areas as well. Uh, an issue that's rising in importance, I think, is this issue of corporate consolidation, uh, especially in the ag industry. It seems to be getting more and more notice as an, as an emerging issue. And I just I, I think uh, continuing economic concerns, in spite of the numbers, uh, which look good and the growth in the economy, uh, I think people still have concerns over economic security. And, and, and a lot of that revolves, I think, around health care and uh, stagnant incomes. Do you think that the recent publicity uh, surrounding Joe Biden and the, and the touchy feely uh, nature of his personality 
Has that had any impact at all in caucus voters? I don't I don't sense it yet, Bruce. I mean, I think it's going to play out. I think once he gets here uh, on the ground in Iowa, uh, gets his campaign off the ground, if he does indeed run, which I, I think he will, uh, I think you'll see how he addresses that here on the ground. And, and then people will really form firm opinions about uh, ab- about that issue. Um, so he, he does have a well of support, I think, goodwill as Barack Obama's vice president. Uh, as you mentioned a little earlier, uh, his two tries at the presidency in the Democratic primaries have been uh, bad failures, uh, I think it's fair to say. So we'll see. In some ways, um, you know, he does have a reservoir of support. The question is going to be how deep is that support? Uh, the Des Moines Register poll asked, uh, he also leads among voters who would, he, would be their first or second choice, and he's got a little bigger lead there. So he seems to be a lot of people's second choice as well, which will be interesting to see how it plays out as this field takes shape and after he wants, gets, after he finally gets into the race. At caucus time, do uh, who turns out? Are they primarily young people or are they primarily older people? It's mostly older people, but... Uh, Barack Obama in 2008 was very successful at getting young people out. There's concerted efforts to get young people out uh, to participate. The Iowa Democratic Party just undertook some new uh, some reforms to allow virtual uh, precinct caucuses where people can compete uh, virtually instead of having to be there, which is an attempt to kind of open it up more to people that perhaps are disabled or, or otherwise can't make uh, a cold uh, January night, February night in, in Iowa. So I think you're going to see, though, because of the, uh, the the interest in defeating Donald Trump, I think you're going to see a, a really big uh, turnout in the caucuses next year. Now, uh, Jillian uh, Rosenberg uh, uh, Armour is here, and uh, uh, she's from the she's a Hawkeye graduate, and she spent a lot of time in Iowa, and uh, she's got a lot to say about the caucuses. And you've got some some there's going to be some changes this time. Yeah, as Robin was just mentioning, there's going to be the first ever a series of virtual caucuses um, in which people are going to be able to participate. I'm not really sure how the technology is going to work on that yet, but I think one of the other really interesting things is another change is in how the results are reported. Um, So one of the criticisms from the Bernie Sanders campaign last time was that you didn't have – you know, they felt that there wasn't enough transparency in the reporting of the results. And so now you're going to have um, a, to- a raw total number of people that show when they first go to the caucus who they were supporting um, without getting into a ton of weeds on some kind of arcane uh, caucus laws. You know, I think that, that that could potentially change how really people view the Iowa caucuses because we're going to hear that night um, not just the people who get delegates, but also, you know, potentially people who maybe got 3% or 2% of initial caucus supporters and interested to hear from Robin, you know, what he thinks about that. Um, One other small thing is that the big number for people for the Iowa caucuses is getting to 15% of the people that show up in the room. You cannot be awarded delegates unless you have 15% of the initial count. Um, And I think, you know, especially with so many people just polling in the nine, eight, seven, six percent range, you know, how that will impact the race. Could you comment then the Democrats obviously changed their super delegates process. So yeah. what is the impact in the caucuses and how they're awarding delegates to that whole process in the end? Yeah, I mean, it's like the document is like 50 pages. The caucus to convention uh, document from the Dem- the Iowa Democratic Party is pretty long. And, you know, how they actually award the 
virtual caucuses and then the caucuses on Is the that night. Is that 15% threshold new then? No, that's always just, existed. Okay, so and that's, that's different than there. the Republican okay. caucuses, I believe. Yep. Robin, let me ask you this question. It's asked every four years. Why Iowa? How does Iowa uh, continually be in the position they're in? And uh, uh, obviously there's always a battle between you and New Hampshire, but other states uh, also ask the question, uh, Iowa is not a very uh, demographically uh, uh, balanced state. How come you're first? Well, I think partly it's it's been the tradition since 1972. Uh, Jimmy Carter was the first candidate to really make uh, Iowa prominent in 76. And I think since then, I, th I think the consensus has been, while em Iowa isn't representative demographically, uh, it is a, a place where candidates have to come out and meet voters, uh, retail politics one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, already candidates are streaming through uh, our area, south southeast Iowa, where my show originates from in Burlington, and it offers uh, a, a chance to see candidates up front, how they handle questions, um, and, and really practice retail politics instead of having to raise millions of dollars and get on TV like they would have to do if it was in a state like California or Illinois. So I think it's a good thing. Um, and I think it's a good thing that, that we start in places where voters were, get a chance to see candidates up front instead of just on the television. Um, so I think that's why it stays number one, and I think it will be uh, in the future. Um, and, and followed up with New Hampshire, again, it gives a chance for smaller states to uh, um, ha have some say in this process and not just be it, have it all decided by television ads. Mike Miller has a question from DePaul yeah. University. Uh, hey there, uh, Robin. I, just curious, uh, two of the top uh, people in Iowa appear to be Bernie and uh, Elizabeth Warren, correct? Joe Biden. Uh, I, I know, that, but, but in the top four. Because yeah. I, mean, I, I wanted to ask... Are there really that many people who essentially support socialists? I, I, uh, Bernie is an avowed socialist, and Warren is kind of a soft socialist. And it seems to me, why in Iowa could there be that many people who embrace a system that has been a failure everywhere it's been tried? I just don't get it. The Des Moines Register poll showed 56% uh, of, of Democrats are okay with a candidate wanting the U.S. to be more socialist. Hmm. Um, I think oh, part I of that, though, great. is... is Part of that, though, is I think what people, uh, my sense is anyway, when you talk to people about socialism, it, it doesn't describe a full socialist system in the traditional sense of the word. I think what people refer to as more social democracy is what they mean. Uh, programs like uh, Medicare, Social Security, uh, Medicare for All, which they, they would envision as being a more social democratic uh, response, uh, policy response. So uh, I'm, I know that there's a lot of hardcore socialists out there in the traditional sense, but I think for most people it's more um, of, a, of a social democratic um, leaning where government does not control all aspects of the economy. Jeannie Ives. Well, I, I'm very curious about this. How come at the top of the polling for the Democrat Party it's all white men? I think it's based on name recognition mostly right now. Uh, Joe Biden's well known from his years as vice president to uh, President Obama. He's run twice before. He had some uh, contacts in the Iowa in, in Iowa when he ran both times. Bernie Sanders, of course, ran last time and ran a very competitive race, uh, basically tied with uh, Hillary Clinton in Iowa. I, my guess is, you, you know, Sanders' support is more ideological, and I think it's firmer. 
Biden's is based more on name ID, and as I said before, I think we'll see how that plays out. Does Amy but, uh, does Amy Klobuchar get? She obviously not in this poll, but uh, d- does she get anything for being a next door neighbor? Does that mean anything uh, historically in the state? Uh, it, it did with Obama. I'm not sure it's it's manifested itself yet with Klobuchar. Uh, she's been in the state a couple of times. She's gotten some decent coverage. Uh, uh, but she hasn't uh, taken off yet in, in terms that would get her up into the top tier. But that's a, that's a possibility. Robin Johnson, thank you very much for being with us. He is with Monmouth College. That's in Monmouth, Illinois. And he also does Heartland Politics on KBUR in Burlington, Iowa, uh, one of our longtime affiliates. will be there to, uh, to cover it at least a couple of times. And Robin's always uh, with us when we originate from Iowa. And, uh, Robin, nice to have you with us this evening to give your pulse on Iowa. Back shortly. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Bruce Dumont back. Uh, Nice to have you with us. Our Democrats this evening are Jillian Rosenberg-Armour, and she is the head of her uh, company called Win. Wildfire contact. Wildfire contact. Not to be mistaken with the steak restaurant here in That's Chicago. That's right. That's a wildfire. Yeah. But again, also, again, congratulations on getting the campaign and election uh, awards. And also, you've run a lot of other awards uh, in the industry of campaign uh, management. And also, Mark Doyle joins us. And he is with an organization called? Rags of Honor. Uh, and Veteran Roasters. A very good idea. A very good idea. Thank helping you. those Homeless veterans, homeless, homeless veterans. Risk veterans. How many homeless veterans are there? So there are, um, on any given night, last year there were 300,000 homeless for at least one night. There are chronically about 160,000 homeless. There are 20,000 homeless just in L.A. County. Um, and there are still 1,000 homeless in Chicago. Mayor Rahm Emanuel did a, a yeoman's job. When he took over, there were 2,000. Um, and they put some money in the, in the city budget when they didn't have it to take over some old apartment buildings, got them, and put homeless veterans in there. If you were a homeless veteran or if you are homeless and you're living in, in the city of Chicago where we do this program, isn't there a place where you can spend the night? Can't you go there are to a several. mission? Um, so there no are. one really has to be out. But on... let me, yes. But, um, Tamika Holyfield worked for me. She spent, she was a Navy. She deployed to Afghanistan. She came back, lost her job. She had two young children. She went through her savings. She ended up losing her apartment. She let her kids stay with her sisters during the week. She went to a shelter one night. She almost got raped. Back in the car. Safer to live in the car. So, yes, um, there are places to go. They're not always that safe. And um, 
It is degrading and demeaning. Uh, but there are a lot of good organizations more and more, a safe haven threshold. The VA here locally has done a really good job. And, and for the record, the VA gets a bad rap on a lot of things. They, they see 23 million patients a year. Like, I mean, 18 years, two wars, they are busting at the seam. So um, they're doing their best to keep up with it. But it's Our Republicans this evening, uh, Mike Miller, DePaul University for about 38 years. Yep. And Jeannie Ives, a former state uh, lawmaker and former uh, Republican candidate for governor and a leader is the conservative Republican movement here in the state of Illinois. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, first of all, we said that we were going to give you an update on what's happening uh, in New Hampshire. So let's take a look at the recent polls. This is St. Alsom's College, uh, which also hosts uh, one of the debates. It has also Joe Biden in first place. It has Bernie Sanders in first place with 23 percent, Biden in second place with 16 percent, Mayor Pete Buttigieg also in third place there with 11 percent, and then you have Elizabeth Warren from the next door state, 9 percent, Camilla Harris, 7 percent, and Beto O'Rourke, 6 percent. So it's the same order uh, as in the state of of Iowa. So uh, one of the other issues that will be – I want to get back to talking about some issues – and uh, let's ask our Republicans. The president is dead set against never releasing his his taxes. He's waiting for this audit to end, which one doesn't believe is probably ever going to end. Um, I personally de- don't think there's any reason to release your taxes. I absolutely, it is one of the most personal documents. It is like your health care document. It should not be available for public inspection, in my opinion. Honestly, you fill out uh, usually some sort of economic statement of interest. It's got to be very detailed. It can be cross-referenced with other documents. That, that is, uh, that, you know, we've, we've found people that have lied on those before. It's easy to find discrepancies in that document. Now, I mean, I, I've done taxes for eight years. I'm telling you, at the tax desk, you learn a lot about what's happening in people's lives. A lot. And the tax document is a very personal document. I personally don't think, look, I, I don't care if it would be a Democrat or a Republican. You don't want anybody to release it. I do not care. 100%. Let's hear from the Democrats. Uh, what about it, Mark? Do you want the president's yes. tax returns? Yes. Why? Why? Yes. Because the American people need to know. By the way, he did that summary that you talked about that several others have done, and his was two pages. It was like, I went to the drugstore to look for a job, and this is how much money I, I made. That is right? not what Sarah Sanders said today. She said it was many, many pages, hundreds of pages of information was that it? he, he it gave. It wasn't. It was Whatever. You, you said anyway, you were about to say the American people need to know why, why he claims to be a billionaire, um, and it is standard, normal procedure for every other president has done it. If you have nothing to hide, if you've done all straight deals, Put them out there. Every president Put them since out there. John Kennedy has released their transcripts from college, high school, everything, except Barack Obama. He that's broke. not true. That's, that's not true. He that's did. just not he true. He did not. Let, let's, we're gonna, we're going to stick with taxes. But, you have uh, nothing yeah, to hide. Release the tax returns. Put them out there and kill the story. Things. Jillian. Yeah. I, I mean, it's standard no operating reason. procedure to release your taxes. And whether or not, you know, to follow your train of logic, it's something that's Personal and average citizens shouldn't do that's fine. We're talking about the president of the United States of America, and we have a right to really know how he's made his money. No, we don't. No, we don't. We have no right to know. No, you don't. Of you know, like. 
people who have been here illegally working in his country. That's well, not on that a tax is return. not on a tax return. That's not on a tax return. That is maybe work for him. No, that's not on the tax return either. None of that. None of that is on the tax return. That information. None of that is on the tax return. I want to know. I want to know why. In your, I'm asking the Democrats. Why do we have? By the way, you also said if you release the tax returns, uh, story's over. Yeah, if you have if he releases, it's it's not going to be over. No, no, right. no, it's, it's not. not. Gonna, it's not. Be, On top of because it, because the news media and the Democrats will not let it be over. There will be something right. on page 315 yeah. that they're going to want to know more about. And, it, and do they have a right to know about that? On top Absolutely. of it, the majority of those folks sitting in office right now, first of all, they probably, none of them do their own taxes. I mean, I just did ours. I do my own taxes because I studied it. I did it for eight years for other people. I I do our own taxes. Um, The majority of people don't do their own taxes, and they don't even understand every single line item, every other schedule that connects to another line item and to an attachment that that goes to to another line. releasing your taxes or not? Because it's it's a very complicated thing to begin with. And if, if people aren't going to understand what you release, then what's the use of it anyway? And I frankly Look, don't I think care. people understand when you when you see things that show impropriety. Um, no, they don't. Because they don't understand what's in pro- impropriety or not. They would not even understand you the couldn't transactions. couldn't possibly believe The IRS shouldn't possibly 62, 62 million people did not think it was important three and a half years ago. 63 billion people, 62 million people said, I don't care. And it's an income statement. It has nothing to do with how, how wealthy he is. Wealth has to do with the market value yeah. of your assets. That's shortly. Nothing, nothing on there for that. Exactly yeah, well, uh, what, right. And why not put uh, it out? No, I, the, the put point it out. is. Because nobody okay. else does. So the, is it, oh, let me ask you this. Do you, so the President the, of the United States, then put you it believe, out. Let me, or let, let me ask the Democrats. Then you believe that the Democrats who are demanding uh, the IRS released this information in the next 10 days. You believe from a political standpoint they are on the right track and there's political uh, mileage to be gained. Here, I would say in the long run, if this is all we have to talk about, this is not a winning issue for the next election because in the end, 62 million people didn't care about it. And so so why are the Democrats talking about it? Because it's the right thing to do is to release your tax and let no everybody see what's in it. They Mueller collusion to go on. Well, so we don't know that happens. because they haven't released a full report yet. But, but the full report will be coming out. Yeah, full report will be coming no out. Eight. Look, at I, I worked in that place. And these people. Which place? The White House. And? And these people are not fit to be in that building. These oh, people, wow. Jared Kushner and his wife and Don Jr. and the rest of them that, that hang out there and use this as their own personal purse are not fit to serve at the highest office in the land. They are not. Well, they are not. I didn't and vote for him, but what, we decided, yeah, he was. What specific, oh. what specific evidence Why? do you have? Okay. Why? Well, let's imagine that somebody who worked for Barack Obama during the transition from Bush to him decided to go and set up a secret communications in the Russian embassy. Just think about that. From, don't think about anything else. Just think about that one thing that Jared Kushner was trying to set up a secret back channel, not in our embassy, in the Russian embassy. If Barack Obama had done that, they would have strung Wait, him like up. Wait, like he said, I'll have more flexibility after the election? Wait a minute. He's the president of the United did, States. Did Mueller admit, did you, did you I, call I mean, Mueller? I, 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 did you, I just, I thought Mueller already took care of this. There was no interaction between the, the Russians and Mr. 
Trump and nor any member of his family. That, that's not true. What do you mean it's not true? That's what Mueller he said. said that's, that's not Mueller true. Mueller said that's true. That was in the he summary. Was, of that was in the report. summary. Have that's you seen the, the summary? I've seen as much that's as the you summary. have. That's, that's the summary that uh, The Attorney Senate General had a, a, a committee that went through it and found nothing. The House had a committee went through it. Every that is a per- huge every, accusation that you made. Yeah. Really. That's an incredible, incredible accusation that you made against uh, Trump and the folks that he decided to surround himself, people that he trusts. Yeah. Now, you've been around in politics, right? Yeah. Guess what? You, there's, it's really hard to find people that you can trust that know who you have your back. That's why you get to hire who you want to and put them in positions of trust so that you're surrounded yourself with people that Roger, you know. And that's know. what he is doing. And, look and let him do that. And let him do that. Here's the one campaign. thing I will say. Those people who indicted for nothing related to the campaign. There nothing were related. Yeah, there's been nobody related. Process crimes. They had to do with Manafort? lying. Manafort, they was not indicted about anything related but to the campaign. Just said these are the people that he trusts, and these are the people he chooses to surround him. And, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a conflict jail. of interest. So is, is Jared Kushner indicted, and I didn't know it? No, I didn't say Ivanka that. Ivanka indicted, and I don't know Melania? Who? But they were invited. They were process crimes. Manafort I mean, was had let go of the like, campaign, too, by the way. It had to do with Ukraine in 25 years ago. Nothing to, nothing to do, do with this. Nothing to do with now. I can only say this. When we come back, we're going to pause 1-800-723-8029. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the Attorney General and his belief that spying took place in the closing days of the Obama administration. Back shortly. It's a bully. But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Uh, every week there is a congressional hearing of some sort. And uh, this past week uh, there was certainly one. And the Attorney General of the United States was called uh, uh, before the Congress to offer answer some questions. And uh, this was before the, the Senate. And uh, here is his response to one such inquiry. And boy, did it set Washington on fire. I think spying on a political campaign is a big deal. It's a big deal. Yes, I think spying did occur. I am not saying that improper surveillance occurred. I'm saying that I am concerned about it and looking into it. Okay. Should we be concerned if spying or illegal eavesdropping took place? Does everybody agree with that? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Yeah, of course. 100%. Illegal spying happened, which he... The use of the FBI and the Justice Department by one administration to spy upon the other 
candidate from the other party Which there based are no upon facts saying that that happened. Well, I'm not so sure that's the case. Uh, well, we're going to find out. Uh, that's what we're going. That's what we're going to find out. But things like the FISA court was used against a citizen by like Carter Page, based upon a FISA thing that was based upon this this Steele dossier, which was all lies, and the FBI lied to the judge to get this FISA court. I mean, they're just. I fear the FBI. I fear things like NSA. That's partly why I'm a Republican. I'm a small government Republican. I fear the government. I want to be. That's why I have to protect the Constitution. It protects me from the government. That's right. And I'm so fearful that that anybody, a Republican or a Democrat, would ever use the power of the FBI or the Justice Department to try to spy upon people or to destroy people. Okay. And I'm afraid they're going to get away with it. I want to ask our Democrats. Yeah. Do you want to know the answer? To the question, absolutely, whether or spying, hundred percent. Do, do, do you want to know the answer? Hundred percent. Yes, of course. I don't. Okay. I think that there is zero evidence that okay. shows that oh, this but, happened. But, but in again, any you way. are in all hundred percent. You are a well-respected political consultant who consults Democrats. Correct, but I also you, live in a world of facts. You were, oh, you are, are, and, yeah. and 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 you are suggesting, you are suggesting that the Attorney General of the United States does not live in a world of facts, and yet he has been a respected, for the most part, has been a respected lawyer for decades in Washington, D.C., praised by Democrats when his name was moved forward, and yet he, is, he said last week that he thinks there, there might have been spying, might have been, not that there definitely was, although he said he thought there was. So what do you want him to share his facts with you? Would, would you want to know that? Yes. I mean, if, there, if, if, there if the Obama administration was spying, do you, both, do you both want to know that? Yes. 100%. Do you want to know that? Oh, yes. Okay. So what's wrong with everybody getting upset when the attorney general says, I want to look into this? Doesn't everybody want him to look into it? Yes, they should. Yes. They should. Here's what I think. I think it was the way it was delivered. I think uh, if he had said, there's nope, because the next day he came in, he recalibrated and said, I just want to say, I'm not saying there was spying. I'm saying there might have been surveillance. And so the point that is... There's is a distinction without a difference. Then there he should have said no it on the front end, and what he should say it. is what I'm about to do, and we can do this in closed-door session or we can do this here. I'm going to bring evidence um, to validate this case, and I'm, I want to bring it to the American people because I want to shine a light on it, and he ought to do that. Okay. That is what exactly what they call spying. That's exactly yep, what they call it. intelligence. I got it. Then he should show it. Intelligence surveillance is also known, a.k.a., otherwise known as, spying. But understand one thing. that Let's just understand this. And this is from all the, the intelligence services. Um, if they picked up any chatter, it's because they were routinely listening to Russians. And during the routine surveilling of Russian assets... Now, whether or not yeah. they colluded or broke the law is here. No, we can okay. say that now. Got it? They you're right. You're right. We can say that. Thank you. Um, whether or not they colluded or broke the law, if you break into somebody's house but you don't steal anything, you still broke in. Yes. The reason it started is because they heard these conversations while they were surveilling the Russians 
Not the Trump campaign. Allegedly. 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 We don't know that. Again, they, but, the whole but again, thing another, started, though, ahead. from a false des- dossier That's right. paid for by the Clinton campaign. That's right. That's how the whole thing started. But, you know, it was split, and then, right? It, it, the first half was paid for by Republicans. I understand. And then it was That's handed irrelevant. over, right? It was, yes. it, it's you know, bipartisan. Where was it yeah. used? It, yeah. That's, so... But, but the I, question is, the, the, these, the, these are allegations. I mean, there are a lot of people who are within the 62 million people that I mm-hmm. represent, whatever Donald Trump. There are a lot of people who believe that the FBI and law enforcement conspired against Donald Trump. That's I believe so it. so dangerous. I believe it. It, yeah. it, it struck. What, what's dangerous? Is, is it dangerous? They, did. It? they did. Those they text did. messages between. They did it. Uh, they did. I don't know. They absolutely I'm did that. If Peter Strzok and his girlfriend. Very as we were just saying and just talking about, if this is true, that's concerning. But to infer it without having, you know, a solid case and a ton of facts to back you up on that is very dangerous There's to a, make that accusation. He's the Attorney General of the United States. He was asked a question by a member of the United States Senate. He responded. Now that is, by the way, you talk about, you know, make, casting explosions, and he's under oath. Yeah. I mean, you want to measure that against Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff has spent... Oh Two and a half years in bre- plain sight, in, in plain sight, in, with inflammatory rhetoric, suggesting all kinds of things. Some of which, the most of which, has been debunked by the Mueller report as interpreted by Attorney General Barr. We will know next week, hopefully. The the, the Mueller uh, report will be out there. But again, if there's anybody that's been out there spreading rumors and innuendo, frankly, it's been Adam Schiff as the chairman of the of the House Committee. On that note, we are out of time. I want to thank uh, Mark Doyle Thanks. for being with us. Great to be here. And uh, Jillian Rosenberg-Armour, uh, thank you very much. Maiden voyages from our two Democrats this evening and our Republicans tonight, Mark Miller, Mike Miller from okay. DePaul University. I did that the first time he wrote yes, the show. And Jeannie Ives, the ever-popular Jeannie Thanks Ives. Having us. Our thanks to uh, Fritz Goldman and Aaron Johnson, our new uh, board operator this evening. They helped make this program possible until next Sunday night. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. Hi, I'm April Jewell, a teacher in Ballard County School District in Kentucky. Last year, we received word that our school had been selected to receive a $25,000 grant from the America's Farmers Grow Rural Education Program, sponsored by the Monsanto Fund, a philanthropic arm of Bayer. The grant is designed to help further science, technology, engineering, and math education. We used it to upgrade the technology in our classrooms to enhance health science curriculums and better prepare our students for various career paths. Now through April 1st, farmers can nominate a school district to apply for $10,000 or $25,000 grants aimed at improving STEM education. I would encourage all eligible farmers to nominate today for a chance to make a lasting impact in countless classrooms. The process takes less than five minutes, and farmers can nominate their school district by visiting americasfarmers.com. That's americasfarmers.com. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly. But we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, 
but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. 